This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us for How She Does It. On this show, we talk about all things women, money, and power. I'm Karen Feinerman. It seems that lately, more women than ever are changing careers and finding more success than ever after they turn 50. While society likes to tell us that our lives and our looks are on the decline as we age, the guests I've had on this show are proving that to be completely false. Take my guest today, Leanne Morgan. Her stand-up career started taking off when she was in her late 50s, at the age of 57 to be exact. And her comedy is so relatable because she talks about the realities of menopause, marriage, motherhood, and mean daughters. Her first comedy special reached over 50 million views. And her Netflix special, Leanne Morgan, I'm Every Woman, is one of the top comedy specials on the platform. She was also recently named to the Forbes 50 over 50 list. She's starring alongside Reese Witherspoon and Will Ferrell in the new comedy, You're Cordially Invited, and she will publish her first book later this year. Leanne, thank you so much for being here today. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you, my darling. Thank you. It's good to be with you. Well, all right. I got a lot to ask, so let let me just jump right in. Okay, so I know you had a job early on selling jewelry door to door. Well, honey, I don't know if you call it a job. I had three little babies, and I wanted some money to get my hair highlighted, so I started selling jewelry. And so while you're doing that, did you find it fulfilling? I mean, you seem very social. It seems like a social job. Oh, yes. It may be, Mark, my husband moved me to the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains, and it was more of a, for me to have a little extra money, because I was a stay-at-home mom, and it was also for me to meet people because I felt very isolated up there. So I, what better way than to go, have parties in women's houses and eat dip, uh-huh. you know, and fellowship? It was perfect for me. And what was the jewelry? They just went out of business after, Lord, I don't know how many years, 30 or 40 years, and it was one of those Tupperware Mary Kay, and it was premier jewelry out of Dallas, Texas. It was not a fine jewelry. It was like a I wouldn't call it a costume, kind of, I guess, just pieces, earrings, and necklaces. So then how did you make that switch to getting into stand-up? I had always wanted to be in show business from the time I was 10 years old. So in the back of my mind, which just sounds crazy, but I went on to college and I was doing all the things, and you know, and I got married and I had my first baby, all the thinking, I'm doing all this. But I'm also going to be a movie star, which is crazy. But anyway, so I go to the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains. I start doing that jewelry. And 
I look back on it now, and it could not have been any more perfect for somebody trying to get into stand-up that's a little mama in eastern Tennessee where there's no comedy clubs. I had my own little comedy club every night in front of my demographic. Think about it. Uh Uh-huh. Everybody that was going through what I was going through, birthing, pregnant, birthing, husbands, all of that, they were right there in front of me. I was supposed to be talking about jewelry. And instead, I was talking about breastfeeding and hemorrhoids and what I was going to cook. And women thought I was funny. I could tell I had them. And I was booking so far in advance. I was booking like a year in advance that the company noticed and asked me to start speaking for about how I was doing it. But what I was doing is we were having a good time. And I developed an act. I developed a shtick talking about babies and my husband and all that. And women thought I was funny. And one night... A woman pee-peed on a couch. She was laughing so hard. Her name is Carmen, and I saw her lately, uh, and she works at my eye doctor, and we held each other and laughed so hard over her peeing on that couch. And I said, Carmen, that was a moment in my life where I thought, okay, I've got it. I can be a stand-up. I just made Carmen pee on that couch. And that gave me the courage to try it. But then we sold our business and went to work for, and I quit selling jewelry. I had three babies by then and I was exhausted. And there was no way I could get out and schlep all that jewelry while I had three babies. My husband sold his business, went to work for a big company. They moved us to San Antonio. And that's the first time I had a comedy club in the town I was living in. And I was probably about 38 years old. I had three babies, three, five, and seven. And I started doing, I did open mic one time, and I never did it again. I got moved up pretty quick, and I started my career. So, okay, that's kind of amazing that you, I mean, you're shifting, you got these three little babies, you moved to town, a big town, where, okay, so you had a real chance to do that. And then right away, you started to find success, which knowing how talented you are isn't surprising, but for so many comics, it is just a horrific task. And there were horrific times. Let me tell you, when I say I got moved up from, I didn't have to do open mic anymore. I still had to get up at, it didn't get paid at midnight. After my babies got up at 6 a.m., they would put me on the late show in San Antonio at the River Center Comedy Club, and everybody was high on marijuana and drunk. And I was talking about, t-ball and little children going to the grocery store so it was hard and there were times when i would think they're not even listening to me everybody's high on marijuana or drunk in a club at midnight and i'm a mama in a capri on a kitten heel but then i was going back and forth to austin comedy club which was one of the best comedy clubs in the united states and they moved me up pretty quick i was doing well but i still had three little babies to raise so i couldn't just start traveling on the road it takes a long time for anybody to even want to book you on the road but even if they did I could not go and leave my little children my husband traveled and was gone all the time and I was the one that took care of them and I wanted to be their mom I wanted to be their mama and be the caregiver and so I just had to take what I could and do what I could to do it as a mother and try to have some success Saying that, I could not get out and tour and do all that kind of stuff that a lot of comedians have to do in comedy clubs. I just couldn't. So I had to carve a different path. And did you think, all right, this period of having these small kids will end at some point, and I will be able to get there. I will be, I'll have the time. I'll be able to do it. I tell you, I thought I was going to be a sitcom star in my 40s. 
I don't know what I was thinking. Well, you had opportunities, I thought. I did. I did. I had big opportunities with ABC and Warner Brothers. But I look back on it now and I think that would have been a completely different life that may not have been the best thing. But at the time, you get swept up and you, as a performer and an artist, you want people to want you. And when they say, yeah, we want to do a sitcom, but you're going to have to let go to L.A. and your family probably shouldn't come yet because it, it might not make it. I kind of got swept up in things and thought, we'll just figure it out. We'll figure it out. But I look back on it now and that was the best thing that ever happened to me. That did not happen at that time. And I got to raise my children and I'm finding out because I just did a movie with Reese Witherspoon and Will Ferrell. I know, that's crazy. Just that sentence is crazy, right? Crazy. And I mean, crazy. And little Reese Witherspoon, I played her big sister, so I was with her in almost every scene. And she would say to me, Lynn, it's wonderful that you got to raise your own children. A lot of people don't when they're having to try to, to do any career. This, like show business, going and doing movies or whatever, a television show. She said, it's a miracle. You got to have both worlds. And I'm finding more and more people say that to me in show business. So I was very lucky that even though I would be devastated if a television show didn't make it, and I would be, I would be devastated. And then I would go months and nobody would book me and all that. It was a lot of ups and downs. But I look back on it and it could not have been better time. And for this to happen to me in my 50s, with my children grown. That is phenomenal. I have Wall Street career, four kids. I did not raise my children. We lived together, but I was gone all day, every day. But you loved it. This is what you, you felt like you were, that's where you wanted to be. I did. I wanted to raise these children and I had a burning desire. I knew in my gut I'm supposed to be doing comedy. I knew it. And there would be terrible times, but I would think, I got to keep going. Okay, so now I just, you know, I was looking, you're on tour, uh, I don't know how many cities. I actually see that you're performing tonight in Alabama, and you're on Central Time, I know, which you said you love. So I was wondering, okay, you have a gig tonight, so what's your pregame ritual? Well, How do you get ready? I normally... I'm going to three states in a weekend, and I'm usually in a, we fly somewhere, and then we get in a car, we do a show, we get in the car, and drive to the next town the next day. Like tomorrow, I will get up and drive to Memphis, Tennessee, which will be about four hours, I think, to get there in time for a matinee. Like these two nights, I'm in Birmingham. Let me tell you what I did today. If I've got time, I like to get out and see a little things. I can't do a lot. Because I've got to mentally get right, and i got to do my hair and makeup and do all that. And I should be exercising. I should be on, on a treadmill, and sometimes I am. But lately, I've not been very good at that. But this morning, I found out that there was a restaurant equipment wholesaler that was a fan. And my daughter is a wonderful cook, and my son loves to cook. We all love to cook. And I, they hooked me up. I got to go to this wholesaler and look through restaurant equipment and see like those big pans that you see the chefs cook with. We got to get some of that for Christmas for my children. So if I've got something like that, and people are so good to me, they'll go, they know I like to cook. They know I love a good pair of shoes and a dress. In a town, they'll say, would you like to come and look at sewing? And I'll be like, yes. So I like to get out and do something. When I say normal, I like to get out and get fresh air 
and see something in that town. We'll look around. What if it means a TJ Maxx? If it means a Nordstrom Rack, just look around, and then I and have lunch, and then maybe get back to my room and just stare in the space to get my head right, and then I get start getting ready, honey, and trying to put on eyelashes and the girdles and all that. Uh huh. I know that you are so relatable. And so many women are have been through your history and their own history, similar. But you're also, you are a master storyteller, right? Which is kind of a, it's a difficult thing to be. I mean, I feel like those stories are probably, each word is sort of orchestrated. And when you do it over and over, you perfect it and you really hone it. But it sounds so, let me just tell you a story I remember. How did you develop that craft? Um, well, thank you for saying that to me. I think I had been raised in a farming community of 500 people around all of my family. I had all my grandparents that took me to school every day or babysat or I would be at their house. And they were I had some pretty funny people in my life, but it was a lot of sweet country southern grandmamas, aunts, great aunts, uncles. And people sat around and talked a lot. And my, I had a very funny grandmother. And then my mother is very funny. And my dad's a good storyteller, really. So I've, I guess I learned that details are important, like funny details are important so that you can, so somebody can feel like they're there. My mother's very descriptive and observant. And I think I took after her, like I like to watch people and I like to, figure out what in the world, like what their socks look like. It's crazy. And then I add those details. And my sister will say all the time, I'm not a good storyteller like you. And I go, you are, Banth, you are. You just need to slow down and think about the details that you're interested in and then share those. But I also, when I was in 4-H, as a little girl, they had a storytelling festival. And I got up and read a children's book and I'll never forget it. And I was in this big high school gym with a bunch of 4-H'ers, and I did well. I got good laughs, but I think I learned what to emphasize, what not to emphasize. And I won- I think I got first place. But So I've always loved to perform. I've always, I'd like to hear stories. I like a good movie with a good story in it. I don't know. Maybe, honey, I can't do math. Let me tell you that. I cannot do math. So maybe the God gave me the storytelling. Perfect. So let me ask you, you're out on tour now and you're doing a hundred of these, but before each one, do you ever get nervous? I do. I get nervous if I haven't worked. I work all the time and I'm touring all the time. But every once in a while, there'll be like four or five days off. And I think And 58 is not old. I'm not saying it's old. I just feel like my memory, like I get a little freaked out if I haven't worked in a while. And I think, and my opener is 62. And we sit backstage and we've been friends since 2004. And she'll say, Lord, I don't, what is my act? And I'll go, what is mine? And then we get on stage and we feel like it comes back. But I get a little nervous if I've had some time off. And I thought, I guess I'm going to have to work like a mule the rest of my life because If I'm on all cylinders like this weekend doing Memphis, four shows, Birmingham, two shows, I could do it in my sleep. Now, I'll take off next week and get ready for Christmas, wrap, shop, clean out my refrigerator, 
Then I'll go back to St. Louis, Springfield, Missouri, and Oklahoma City and think, who am I and what is my name? I do get a little nervous because I want it to be good for everybody. All these people come and see my shows and they fly from other places and I just want to, I get nervous when I just want to hit it. You're already, you're talking to such an inviting crowd, right? They're delighted to be there. They made a lot of effort to find you, buy tickets, show up, all of that. They do. They make it so easy for me and sweet on me. And let me tell you that if I say, what was I saying on stage? If I go, what was I saying? They laugh and throw their purse in the air. And somebody from the second row will go, you were talking about your bladder or whatever. And they help me. And they do. You're right. They, they're going through the same thing and everybody loses track of what they're saying. So they love me anyway. And it's so sweet. Okay. So you don't get nervous if you're like, oh, I forgot. You got an hour of material that to remember every word kind of in order. And it, what you just you blank out. You just literally ask the crowd. Yeah. And go, what was I talking about? Now, I do. I'm not the kind of comedian that goes by a script. By the time I have to shoot a Netflix special or something, I have to kind of have it down to it. But now I'm out. I won't shoot another one until next year. And I'm just having fun right now. Like, I've got my hour. I know what I'm going to shoot for Netflix, I think. I add and take away. But being in Birmingham last night, I talked about Auburn and Alabama football game. It was a nightmare. Everybody got torn up. If something's on my mind, like Patrick Mahomes and... <laughs> what about Patrick Mahomes was on your mind? Travis Kelsey. That Taylor Swift-Travis Kelsey romantic relationship has... I'm living through them. And I also just have got... I just worry about Patrick Mahomes. I feel like he's got so much on him. I'm, my children are the same age as him. And I just feel like he's always got the flu and hopping on one foot. And he's still wanting to play. And it just makes me feel bad. I wish I could cook for him. So I'll talk about if something's going on or Christmas, mama's having to get ready for all this Christmas. And I'll mix things up. That, I mean, that Patrick Mahomes is just kind of the example of hopping around on one foot, his toe injury during the Super Bowl. I mean... That is fantastic. All right. So when you are doing a show and you hear the crowd really just absolutely just eating it up, how does that feel? What is that similar to anything? It feels like it feels really good and it feels like almost riding a wave. And I've never surfed. It feels like what it would feel like if you got caught a perfect wave and you're riding it. And it's just magic. Like everything is just clicking and it is magic. Those call, we, little Karen Mills, who opens for me, we call that boogity boo. When we could just go boogity boo and feel like everybody's just having a ball. It's just a magical, it's just wonderful. It is a wonderful feeling. And it's not always the feeling. There's nights when I feel a little off or I think I'm like trying to think of a bit while I'm or I'm thinking, what time do I come out here? And I'm trying to do math at the same time. But I want to be present. But there's a few times when it's just not. It's fun. I know we're having a good show, but it does not. Right. Just it's not hit every cracking. cylinder. Right. Yeah. All right. So go back to your early days when you just did you bomb ever? And what did that feel like? Did it ever sort of make you think maybe I shouldn't do this? 
Oh, there has been many a time when I would call little Karen Mills, because she's my partner in comedy. All my girlfriends that I've raised my children with, none of them are comedians. So I've always had to call and lean on little Kay, I call her. And I would call many a night and go, I think I'm quitting. And then she would, and she'd go, no, you're not. And then she'd call me and have a bad gig and go, I'm quitting. And I'd go, no, you're not. But what I tell you what those shows were. When I was raising my children, I took a lot of private corporate things. And when I say private corporate, I don't mean like Microsoft or Mercedes. I'm talking about little this little fundraiser or this little company spent more on the shrimp than they did on me on their Christmas party. Those little gigs. And there was one where there were men that make carpet fiber in Dalton, Georgia. And I'm sure they're precious. But they were not fun that night, and I probably was not the best fit for them. And I got through my 45 minutes, probably in 20, and was pulling stuff out of the air because I was bombing so bad. And that was one night where I'd think, I wish somebody would come up here and just lead me off the stage and say, it's okay, Lynn. We're going to end early, and we're going to serve dessert. But yeah, there's been plenty of those. Yeah, everybody goes through those, and it's awful. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back. I'm Jane Perlez, longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places, Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I mean, China is not dropping anti-democratic paratroopers into Montana. But of course, we did see things like the weather balloon slash spy balloon riveting the whole country for a week. This is Face Off, an eight-part series in which we'll take you behind the scenes to key moments in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. We'll speak with a diplomat, a spy, a tech reporter, a U.S. admiral, even Yo-Yo Ma. Plus, my pal and noted China historian Rana Mitter joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face-Off launches April 9th. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more— we answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The Nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so you talked a lot about home with the kids and your husband working, and, and he was always, you said, he's very tight, always tight with the money. Okay, so very tight. Money. Things have changed clearly. Is anything different? You said you still like to go to TJ Maxx. I do. I love a good TJ Maxx. And like this restaurant wholesaler thing I went to today, I thought I'm getting a deal. I love a deal. I love a good tip. But yeah, it's hard for me because I do have Chuck Morgan in my ear. 
saying, eat that continental breakfast, Lynn, at the Hilton Garden Inn. Don't you dare go to Panera. He has got an MBA, I guess an undergraduate in finance and then an MBA in something. Anyway, very conservative with money and watches everything. And see, I'm kind of, I'm not crazy. I don't, I've got girlfriends that have bought Chanel sunglasses to get back at their husbands. I've never done anything like that. I'm more of a, yes, go to a TJ Maxx, a Nordstrom Rack, find a good face mask, pajamas, good panties. Yeah, it's hard for me to, I have a stylist and she dresses me for photo shoots. And she does country music stars, and I've had to say, and I love her, I got, I have to say, Amanda, I can't be doing all that. I cannot be wearing those big shoes because I'm from the country. I don't know. It's been hard for me. I think because this happened to me in my 50s. If I were 30, honey, I'd be up in a big Gucci, no telling what. <laughs> right. But I like a good sweatsuit, you know, and a comfortable tennis shoe. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, so having this success later in life, your kids are grown now, and their mom is this big star. What's that like for them? Well, I know they're having a ball, and they're enjoying it. And they, at first, it took everybody a while to catch on what was happening. And I was trying to tell people what were happening. I was trying to tell Chuck. I go, Chuck, I think we could buy a camper. Or I tell you, for my grandchildren, because my boy likes to camp. They do all that up in the Smoky Mountains. But I, the first thing, I said, Chuck, I think we can get these toilets fixed. Because we're still in the house that I raised my children in. I'm busting out of the seams, my show closet. I've had to change their playroom into a show closet. It's a house you'd raise three children in. But I'm still in that. But it, the toilets got to where they wouldn't work on their own. Chuck would say, just take the top off and pull that <laughs> thing up. And I was like, I think we could replace all that. And he was like, are you crazy? You just want to go wild. And I'm like, I don't think that's that wild. But now he did buy a farm. He did buy a farm and a bulldozer. The farm I knew about, the bulldozer, was behind my bag. And I know he needed one, but I have not made a big purchase. I have not really made a big purchase. What do you need a bulldozer for? He's got to clear stuff okay. on that farm. All right. And I was raised on a farm. I really don't want to be on a farm. I've already done that and on a dirt road. But he wants to see what and have goats and stuff for these grandbabies. It gives him something to do. He's still got a big job, still working. He's president of a division of a... Berkshire Hathaway Company, uh-huh. but he thinks he wants to farm on the side. Uh-huh. What does he think of this? He must be so proud, and also there's some stories that are not 100% flattering. And people ask me that all the time. They go, does he get mad at you? And I go, no. He'll say, tell him this. But he has always been supportive of me doing it. And he would meet me in a parking lot with three babies and in a minivan, and I would hand them to him, and I'd go do a show. And he's always been good about it. I don't. I think for years he fussed about that I didn't save for my taxes, and I made just enough money to ruin things. And I stayed scared about that all the time because I'm not an organized person, but to keep my receipts. But then when this blew up like this, he can't believe it. He still cannot believe it. But he's a very pragmatic person. I'm the dreamer. I always thought this was going to happen. I didn't know it was going to be this sweet and this wonderful, but I'm a dreamer. And I kept telling him, oh, yeah, one day we got to figure out what we're going to do because we're going to be in Los Angeles. And when I got that movie, he was like, his mouth was open. He was like, what? Which mine was too. But yeah, every day I just signed another deal for a third tour. And he's just like, what? 
in the world. I'm not, we all just sit around and go, what in the world? Right. Netflix comes calling to you. Netflix, a, a Netflix special that has to be sort of on any comedian's bucket list right at the top. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I didn't think it was going to happen. I thought there's no way they're going to have a middle-aged grandmother of two from Tennessee on Netflix. I really did. It's hip and everybody wants a special and not many people get them. And they took a chance on me. It took a while for them to get on board and to, for my team to sell me to them. And But they're thrilled. And I think because it's been very successful and it's been in the top six all year. It's like Chris Rock, Burt Kreischer, John Mulaney, Tom Segura, and then me. There's other women, but I'm the top. And I think this is what I think it is. I think that they realized that my demographic is a wonderful demographic that's being underserved. Completely agree. Right. You have women who now have some time, possibly some money. Money. So for advertisers, that's appealing. And it's been ignored. And yet it's a huge demographic. Right. So you're the poster child. I've had people say to me, it's like, Leanne, one of us got out. <laughs> and I'm like, because people have raised children and working and doing and keeping a house and doing all that. And then all of a sudden, yeah, oh, my audience, they are coming out in, with girlfriends and husbands and moms and daughters. And it's so wonderful. To, to It's a blessing to me when they tell me they all get on planes to come see me, make a trip out of it, making memories. And it would be like a 90-year-old mom, 80 to 90-year-old grandmother, her daughter in her 50s, 60s, and then their daughter. And they all can relate. Like three generations will come. And I know you address the younger women in the audience, the ones with young children, and sort of tell them, okay, I know you don't want to hear it, but here's what's coming down the pike. Yeah, it's fantastic. So let me ask you, who do you admire as a comedian? I love Dave Chappelle. I love... Bill Burr, Tom Papa, Mike Berbiglia. I will always loved watching Joan Rivers. I loved Ellen DeGeneres. And I'm telling you, when Roseanne Barr did her first set on Johnny Carson, I saw it, and it blew me away. It was the first time I saw somebody, a woman with a point of view, a distinct point of view, and I don't know if you remember it, because I've watched Roseanne through the years, but not a big, I wasn't a big Roseanne fan. It was more of that night, that one time, when she talked about being the domestic goddess. Like you knew exactly what she meant. And it blew me away. And I thought, she's going to be the next star. And she was. But I love all comedy. I truly love stand-up and love watching it. And when I was wanting so badly to be part of the cool kids and I would you know Comedy Central was so big and people were getting half hours and hours and they were turning me down they did not want me because that demographic was young men 18 to 25 and of course they didn't want to hear me in a kitten hill talking about somebody pooping on the t-ball field but at the time I didn't know that and I was I would be so hurt and think I'll never be one of the cool kids and then who would have thought this had happened to me at 58 years old? Oh, it's fantastic. And now you are the pinnacle of cool. I think I kind of am. You kind of are. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with the lightning round. 
It feels really good to be productive, but a lot of the time it's easier said than done, especially when you need to make time to learn about productivity so you can actually, you know, be productive. But you can start your morning off right and be ready to get stuff done in just a few minutes with the Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day podcast. You'll hear advice on everything from how to build confidence to how to get the best night's sleep. New episodes drop every weekday, and each one is five minutes or less, so you only have to listen a little to get a lot more out of your weekdays. Listen and subscribe to Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. That's Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. What do you get when you take two childhood friends with a passion for unexplored history and a whole lot of booze? (laughs) You get the goofiest game in history, Queen's Podcast. Hi, I'm Nathan. And I'm Katie. And we're the host of Queen's Podcast. Join us while we spill the tea on women from history. We get into all kinds of stories here, like biographies of lesser-known figures. For instance, Saida Haltura, powerful pirate queen. To the stories you might already know, like Marie Antoinette or Cleopatra, but with a fun twist. Each queen is paired with a cocktail that'll totally get you in the mood to hear fun, juicy, and dramatic stories from history. Because history is so much more than just dudes on a battlefield, and we believe that the female perspective and roles are just as deserving of their time in the spotlight. Right. So come get to know these queens. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Cheers. All right. So, Leanne, we are going now to the lightning round. And this is just, it's would you rather. And you just can't think about the answer. You just have to say the first thing that comes into your mind. Okay, you ready? Okay. I'm ready. All right. Bean Station, Tennessee or Hollywood, California? Bean Station, Tennessee. Ah, wow. Okay. Comedy Cellar, New York City, or Comedy Store, L.A.? Comedy Store, L.A. I guess that's the only one I've been to yet. I haven't been to the, that one. Okay. Jello or Icebox Cake? I'm going to have to say Icebox Cake. Really? Even though I love a Jello, but darn it, I'm a cake person, too. All right. Icebox Cake it is. Okay. Dress or sweatpants? Sweatpants if I'm at home. Okay. Yoga or jogging? Yoga. Really? I thought you would say neither. Yeah. I like yoga. I Even though I jogging, I'm just never, I think, think my butt's too big. I can walk real fast. Five-star restaurant or country buffet? Uh, I'd say five-star restaurant. Ah, all right. Def Leppard or Journey? Journey. Journey. You love Steve Cherry. Little Journey man. Real Housewives or the Kardashians? Real Housewives. Okay, would you rather be granted three wishes by a magical genie for anything you want or spend an hour with your grandchildren? Hour with these grandbabies, honey. Okay, golden bachelor or golden retriever? (laughs) Golden retriever. Okay, was it close or not really? No, I just thought uh, that man seemed sweet, but golden retriever. I love a dog in a bed when they're cuddled up to you. I hear you. Okay. I think I know the answer to this one, but I always ask this. Would you rather laugh uncontrollably or be moved? Laugh, 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 laugh. Laugh, 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 I would think. Okay. All right. What's the best investment you ever made and what's the worst investment you ever made? And it could be any, it could be a class you took or someone you met. Investment could be a really broad definition. The best thing I ever did invested in myself at 51 or 52 when I told you I was just about to quit this thing because it was not going well. I don't know if I said that to you or not, but it, but 
I knew I was having a grandbaby. I thought, darn it, this isn't going well. I may have to figure out something else. And I was, I really went through a hard time with it. And then I thought, you know what? I was watching Jim Gaffigan, people I admired, on social media, and I thought, they've got social media people, and I don't have that. And I said to my manager at the time, I think I need social media people. And he goes, you can't afford that. You don't need to be doing it. And I did it anyway. And I found these two young guys that did my social media, and it turned my career around. And it was a lot of money, but I thought I'm going to give it three months. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. The first week they launched me was when Def Leppard and Journey went viral, and it changed my career. And so that was the best investment I ever made was in myself. I made that decision. I'm going to invest in myself, take this money, and give it everything I've got. It was the best thing I ever did. We're going to attach that to the notes here so people can see that clip, which is just phenomenal. That is an excellent answer. Excellent answer. So social media sort of is a surprising answer in that it's younger, more cutting edge, not old school, and yet it worked tremendously well. Right. Right. And you think about it, nobody's reading newspapers or watching TV like they were. It used to, we used to promote ourselves on the radio and that kind of thing. It's social media. And if you don't get on board, you're like a dinosaur, really. And I realized that. And I thought, I've got to, and I had over 25 years, I had like three headshots made. That's how little I had invested in myself. If I made money, I went and bought my kids uniforms or got their hair cut. And I'm glad I did that. But I look back on it and I should have invested more in my career. But I just didn't, I didn't have the confidence. I didn't know how. I didn't know. I was always thinking, well, that I need to do this for them. But really smarter would have been me to invest in this, get a website, do all that kind of stuff. I didn't until I was in my 50s. That is a fantastic answer. What about the worst investment you ever made? You said that can be in a man. (laughs) For you, yes. I have dated people, I've said it in the Netflix special, that you wouldn't wipe your feet on. I think that I, as a young woman, did not realize how much I was worth. And I invested in people that did not believe in me or were insecure and did not lift me up. And that could be something romantic or that could be in you know, in comedy clubs or anything. But when I look back on the people that you know, really wanted to help me and lift me up. And I can tell you who they are. And I'm still good friends with them today. And they're in my career today. So I wouldn't invest, if I had to do over with, I wouldn't invest in a bunch of ding-dongs. I wouldn't have relationships with a bunch of ding-dongs. That was it. Uh, Leanne, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. I know it's at a real premium and I'm thrilled with your success. It's so exciting. Y'all, I've had a ball and thank y'all for having me. Thank you so much for joining me today on How She Does It. Thank you so much to Leanne Morgan for sharing her story about finding huge success later in life. When you have a moment, please follow us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to updates from the Her Money community at hermoney.com slash subscribe. Our producers are Catherine Tuggle and Haley Pascalides with help from everyone at Her Money. This podcast is mixed and mastered out of CDM Sound Studios. Our music is from Video Helper. And our show comes to you through Megaphone. Have a great week, and I look forward to seeing you here with us again. Onward.